Hello and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Broker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. And for today's show, we're going to do what many would consider more of a beginner topic, uh, but it's not something we've covered before. And honestly, you may find that there are a number of points in your writing career where you debate whether to self-publish or stay self-published or to try to get a traditional publisher or to switch from traditional publishing to self-publishing part of your catalog. Uh, A lot of authors actually start out one way and end up in kind of a hybrid model or sometimes even go completely the other way. So what we're going to do is start out talking in the beginning, first part of the show, kind of more towards beginners that are deciding like, or maybe you just started publishing and you're like, did I make the right choice? Or you're trying to make the decision. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about when you might want to consider switching and doing the hybrid model or, or switching completely. <laughs> and at the end, we'll also talk a little bit about having an exit strategy in case you get to the point where you want to retire or slow down at some point, but you also don't want your books to just completely stop selling and disappear from the world or from being found anyway, from being a 3 million ranking on Amazon or whatever. So before we kind of jump into kind of weighing the pros and cons of uh, the different decisions, I guess we should tell just for a reminder or for anybody coming in new how we've done it and uh, so you'll see we're all predominantly self-publishing so we are perhaps a little biased but we'll try to kind of present a fair uh, stance and you know bring in knowledge we've learned from other people that have gone both ways so for myself I started self-publishing at the end of 2010 uh, I was just about to, you know, I think I'd written maybe queried five agents or something. Like I was just, I had two novels written. I'd gone through all the workshop and everything. And I decided, okay, got to do this. I was completely dreading it because I, I really didn't think I'd written stuff that would appeal to what the agents were looking for. But also at the same time that Kindle was becoming a big thing. And um, yeah, so I, I, I saw some success stories online and almost almost immediately, like within a month, I just completely pivoted and decided to go all in with self-publishing. And I've stuck with that for my 11-year career, but I do have an audiobook audiobook publisher for a number of my series, and I've also sold foreign rights, and I'm starting to see some of the books come out uh, with publishers in other countries for a couple series. So, you know, 90% self-published, 10% with publishers maybe at this point. What about you guys? Uh, my story is roughly the same. I, I spent several years, mine, my, my and I, I spent several years trying to, to traditionally publish. So I spent, I don't know, we were probably about two years sending out query letters. And then I self-published on January of 2010. And I have been self-published ever since. Like Lindsay, I have a lot of audiobooks that are traditionally published. And I've got some translations that are traditionally published. But overall, I have been uh, self-published that entire time. Every now and then I'll take a, a stab at uh, either getting a traditionally published short story just because it, it was a, a standout or, you know, query an agent every now and then, because as we'll see, there's a couple of things about being traditional that would be streamlined. Uh, it would streamline other things that I want to do, but uh, I'm still all self-published beyond the, uh, the audio and translations. And as for me, um, I got an agent in 2009 and in, um, you know, for a little while, let's see how, how did it go? Um, he was shopping my book around to a bunch of different publishers. I had, was offered a contract through the publishers of twilight. And, um, I actually turned that down, which was really upsetting to my brand new author friends, but I was a paralegal and I was like, 
I looked at the contract and I was like, people are okay with this. <laughs> I just was not, okay. I wasn't okay with it. And I didn't know at the point, at that point that that was standard for Trisha publishers. I just thought that they were taking advantage of me. And I kind of felt like my agent wasn't representing me very well. So I ended up signing with a small press local publisher who had much better, um, much, much better contracts or terms inside their contract. And, um, One of the lucky things about them was they also included this clause where if they didn't publish your book by a certain date, um, which I think was really silly of them, (laughs) that they would be in breach of contract. And a year later, they still hadn't published my book because they lost some funding. And on my birthday and 10 days after I got married, we, I left them and, um, and started self-publishing and I've been self-publishing ever since. And, um, I've got like, I don't know, over 75 titles, fantasy, and um, hit the USA Today bestseller list twice. And I'm currently writing medical romance. So that's pretty much my thing. I'm I'm not traditionally published at all. I don't have any publishers for audiobooks or anything like that, but uh, it's been a fun journey. And um, yeah, so there you go. All right. And on that note, now that we've introduced ourselves, uh, so let's talk about what exactly, and this is again, geared more towards newer authors at this point in the show. What does self-publishing involve? Uh, so basically everything, <laughs> finding and hiring an editor, a cover designer, formatting the files, uploading them to the various stores and learning all of the marketing stuff, such as how to write a killer blurb, how to start a website and newsletter, how to use social media, advertising, newsletter building, et cetera, et cetera, to sell books. And uh, I think we'll all chime in here. Go ahead, Andrea, a few more. It is pouring, pouring rain and hail. So if you guys can hear that. <laughs> supposed to be snowing, but <laughs> can't hear it. That's good. Okay. So another thing that authors need to decide, especially if they're just barely starting out is uh, not just whether to use an editor, but what type of editor you use. I currently use the same editor. I, the, I took the editor from my former publisher. She and I uh, left the publishing company about the same time and she's phenomenal. She does pretty much everything, but she also had years and years and years and years of experience in the industry before I even signed with the publisher. And so when you're starting out, you need to decide if you want to work with a developmental editor, somebody who will basically go through and kind of when you're first starting out, tear your book apart um, in a constructive way. They, you know, they show you where plot holes are and if you've got arc problems and, and things like that. Um, or a, like a copy editor who focuses not on the story, but mainly on, you know, typos and clarity issues, logical errors in the sentence structure itself. Uh, You could also work with professional proofreaders, not just like your mom or your neighbor down the street, but people who actually have experience doing it and do it for a living. And what they'll, they, they go over the book after the editor goes over it. Um, You can also find editors like mine who do it all, but those are harder to find. And uh, I will tell you right now, developmental editors are way more expensive than the other ones, but sometimes, and I'm dropping stuff on my desk, sometimes um, a developmental editor can shortcut years of trying to learn how to write a fiction book. So that might be something you might want to consider. And other times you might be stubborn and not want to do that, or you might have enough experience where that's not necessary. Um, And... One more thing is uh, once you start getting traction, you'll also have to start learning contract stuff. There's a lot of business stuff you'll need to know. If you sell rights to things like audio and translation like we did, you need to understand what that contract is to make sure you don't have a bad one or you need to hire a lawyer to sort of walk you through that. Uh, I think the first contract I ever did, I sent to a lawyer and then just sort of uh, learned from that experience to, to measure future ones. Uh, you'll also need to be aware of tax implications of self-employment and uh, 
you know, also how to prepare your taxes or hire an accountant to prepare your taxes because you will, if you're fully self-employed, you'll be paying quarterly. You have to worry about other little business things like health insurance. There's basically, in addition to, you know, all of the actual uh, book biz related stuff, there's just the standard biz related stuff that you have to handle because you're basically running a publishing company uh, in and of yourself once you get big enough. You do know that traditionally published authors have to do all that too, right? Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it's still a thing. Okay, no problem. So I will remind that for everybody. But yeah, if you're getting, whether you're getting royalty income, actually, what's odd about self-publishing is all the vendors put it as royalty income when you get your 1099. So I don't know, but it's a little different when it's coming from a publisher. But yeah, so stuff to keep in mind uh, when you start getting money outside of your job either way. So pros of self-publishing, some of the pros are speed to market. This is made if you are impatient like I am. You can potentially start making money as soon as your books are done and as soon as you get them up there, you know, through your editor and all that. But um, definitely if you're somebody that's not patient, you know, traditional publishing can, you know, we'll talk about this more later, you know, take a couple of years, especially in the beginning to uh, find an agent, find a publisher. And even when they uh, accept the book, it takes a while to get it out there. Um, also, with another pro of self-publishing is that you call all the shots, uh, you pick your own cover art, and you decide which editing suggestions to take. Now, whether or not this is the best thing can be a bit of a question mark, because if you're working for an uh you know, you're going through a publisher and they're paying the editor, you're, the editor is probably going to give like more critical feedback than if you are hiring the editor and they want to keep you as a client and for you to keep coming back book after book. So you might get a, I don't say more honest edit, but more, you know, critical edit possibly if you're working through a publisher and you may have fewer choices about what to reject and, and what to keep. Um, last big plus for me is the monthly paychecks that, you know, and the only cuts going to the retailer uh, with eBooks anyway, and, you know, usually about 30% on eBooks. So if you sell a book for $5, you're keeping like 360, 370, somewhere in there. Uh, audiobooks do still tend to be suckier for whatever reason. We just get a worse deal on those. Um, but it's still, but you're still going to be making more than if you're going through a publisher generally. Um, and, you know, I've seen my gross, like the gross sales of my audiobooks that go through the publisher and what the publisher then gets, like they get a small cut and then I get an even smaller cut, you know, and it starts to make ACX not and find a way voice is not, not all that bad <laughs> or so it looks. Um, do you guys have some more pros of self-publishing to share? Yeah. Uh, and do you remember back when ACX used to pay like 90% royalties? <laughs> I, that was like before I started, I heard about that, like right as I was getting started publishing my own audiobooks, they dropped it down to whatever, I don't know what it is now, but it's ridiculous. Like it's, well, it's 40% now supposedly, but who they, people pay with credits. So you don't even get that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. So this is uh Lindsay mentioned some really, really great pros and they're like near and dear to my heart because I'm not, I'm a very take charge control, not control freak, but I like to be involved. I just, I find joy in being involved in things that affect my life. <laughs> um, but, um, so for me, the next thing that's most important, I absolutely love marketing. Marketing is one of my biggest passions. And I think if I were with a traditional publisher, um, it would really stifle me. Like I would absolutely hate it, but 
being able to spend money on a market on a, a marketing plan or a promotion and then seeing immediately, almost immediately, the effectiveness of that promotion. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest pros of being self-published. And then you're also able to figure out what best, I mean, what gives the best bang for your buck because you pay attention to what gives you the most return. And then also the ability to sign up, actually sign up for those promos in the first place um, as traditional published authors don't have total control over pricing and can't guarantee that their book's price will be dropped in time for promotions. And so it makes it really, really hard to plan those promotions. Um, and some publishers are absolutely refuse to work with anything. Once the book is published, they won't do anything, any price drops or anything like that. So that can be a big blow to a book's future when it comes to marketing. Um, and then also the ability to pivot quickly when a change is needed. So like if you have typos or errors in your books, mistakes to correct, et cetera, uh, real rubber meets road applications there because people give you feedback and you can do something about it. Um, and then also upfront recognition that it's all on you instead of waiting around for a company to do something that they never actually will. Uh, and obviously that's going to be a con as well, but it's a pro because it's, it's easier to take charge when you get the most majority of the royalties and when you're able to plan a smart promotion and see how things go. You also get uh, greater flexibility on content because it's, it's easier to break new ground or try something experimental when you are the only person who has to decide whether or not it's worth pursuing. Uh, traditional can be very hesitant to take chances on stuff because of the amount of overhead involved with book releases. Uh, likewise, experimental delivery methods like subscription services or new apps or other things that are new and come along. Uh, you're going to find that self-published folks are going to be much quicker to embrace them and traditional much slower. Uh, you know, whether it's a good idea or not, we tend to move a lot faster on innovation. And also uh, full control of your IP means you don't have to worry about your setting or your characters getting tied up in contracts. You can end a series or extend it as success dictates as opposed to being locked into something that uh, that isn't particularly paying off for you and just generally uh, uh, losing control of stuff that you would prefer to hold on to. Yeah, those are good points. And I wanted to add too to what Andrea said with the marketing, when you're self-published, if you run a promo, you can go check the very same day your dashboard on the various sites and see like, did you get a boost in sales? Was it effective? Whereas if you're getting paid twice a year and you see your royalty statements, like I have no idea of like the five marketing things I did, if, if any of them helped out or if those sales came from something else completely. All right. So let's talk about cons of self-publishing. I would say more work all around more to learn about marketing. Although you you know, depending who you talk to in traditional publishing, a lot of those authors kind of have to do almost as much. What they're probably not doing is paying for ads. That just doesn't really work out when you're getting such a small cut of each book to like pay $2 for a click. It's barely, it's tough to make it work even when you're getting 70% of the ebook sale. So, you, you know, I think a lot of people want to choose that route because they think there won't be any marketing or it won't be very hard. And it's like, yeah, you're probably gonna have to do some anyway, unless you get lucky. Um, I've heard that if you get a big advance, like a six figure advance, the publisher's a lot more likely to put more marketing and invest more in, you know, getting your arcs out and really blasting your book out. So yay, if that's you, but if you're one of like 20 people that got a $5,000 advance and they're just throwing all those books out this quarter, you know, you may be more on your own. Uh, Andrea, do you have some more cons to share? I do. I have so many to share. <laughs> just kidding. So uh, my first one is the ship stops moving when you do. So if you get sick, 
Um, or if a family crisis comes up, things like that, more likely than not, your whole business stops. When you're represented by a publisher, theoretically, things are still moving forward without your involvement. Um, So like once the book is finished and off to the editor, uh, you still have to go over galleys and things like that, but it's a little different. Uh, When you're self-published, you make all the arrangements. You're the driving factor, the go-between, where editors, cover designers, formatters, et cetera, are concerned, not some schedule set up and run by another entity. Um, When you first start out, funds come from personal money rather than a company investing in your book. Later on, the funds still come from you, but the business typically handles it out of a, a pool of previous books royalties. In addition to those, uh, not having graphic designers, editors, et cetera, on staff means you're very mindful. You have to be very mindful of your own schedule when you're self-published or else you'll end up missing intended release dates because you just can't get a slot with your editor or your artist. Uh, so this major scheduling becomes uh, a part of your your process, sometimes literally years in advance. I have edit slots for 2023 already. <laughs> uh not only is there more work to do, it's there's also a basic level of expertise required in a lot of non-writing areas that you wouldn't really have to worry about otherwise. And just there's there's more business management to do, which may not be what you want to get into when you start writing. Um, starting without a company with a long publishing history means that you'll need to seek advice and expertise on your own. There's not going to be a a, a well of of knowledge like within the organization you're a part of to pull from. Uh, and the same thing that gives you flexibility to act quickly gives you the lack of hindsight that many publishers have. Lots of times when a publisher chooses not to do something, it's because they have you know, the, the experience to know whether or not that was a good idea. And you simply don't have that. You'll end up making many mistakes that, that uh, a publisher would have seen a mile away, unless you do a tremendous amount of research. But the more research you do, the less speed you have. So it becomes this big trade-off. And also... A huge amount of flexibility means you can talk yourself into some very bad ideas and invest money in some very bad ways. Uh, you know, we're talking about you have to develop all of these skills. They don't, you know, you don't start at 100%. You're going to make mistakes, not just in your publishing career, but in all the ancillary things that come along with self-publishing. So the learning curve can be costly and slow if, you, if, you're, uh, if you're unlucky or you find out you don't have a knack for some of the side stuff. Right. I feel like oh, almost every author we interview you know says like i i wanted this for my covers i had this scene in mind like and then they only later learned you know like you have to look at almost even if you've got a cover designer you kind of have to learn like all right this is what sells in my genre and you know i should probably go with this rather than trying to be super true to some scene in the story but you almost have to do it the hard way and and realize and get different covers and like oh yeah yeah just getting a cover that fits in actually was a good good way to go we should point out though that the publishers aren't always right like uh, we've talked about how they will not take on niche things a lot of the times because they don't they know from past experience that they don't sell enough copies to make it worth it for them but those are some of the very niches that self-publishers have exploited because you know we can sell 5,000 copies of something and make $20,000 and that's pretty good money for a lot of authors uh you know whereas that'd be a complete flop for traditional publishing so they're just not going to jump into a a category where they don't think there's a big audience already uh but let's go on again still kind of doing this towards newer authors let's talk about what does traditional publishing involve we talked about self-publishing so you know traditional publishing you're probably going to be querying agents and or submitting manuscripts to publishers though very few publishers take unsolicited manuscripts anymore and uh, I, I was just to say that it's a reminder here that 
You can try to get a tr traditional publishing deal, but there aren't any guarantees with that. Because uh, I, I feel like some people say, oh, should I go traditional or self-publishing? Like, it's a guarantee that you can do whichever one. You know, you have to be picked. <laughs> you know, the traditional publishing, they're gatekeepers. And if you are writing something niche or your writing is just kind of really not there yet in their opinion, then they're not going to give you a deal. So I've definitely seen the thing where people try for a couple years before they eventually end up self-publishing because that was what they had. That was their choice. Like they, even if sometimes people get an agent and they think, Oh, I've got it made. I got an agent. And I've, you know, I've seen that where the agent shops it around for like two years and finally has to say, Hey, I couldn't find a home for this. So I'm going to give it back to you. And so you have to decide like, is that, do you have the patience for that? Or do you, even if you really want traditional publishing and you're willing to do all that, maybe you, while that's happening, start working on something else on the side and you self-publish that. And you can even do it on our pen name if you don't want it to affect anything. So things to keep in mind, you can tell impatience is one of my, <laughs> let's call it a strength <laughs> because it, it drives me <laughs> or something like that. Um, but that, that has factored into a lot of my decisions over the years as far as publishing goes. And um, I mean, I'm impatient apparently too, because I'm like, I mentioned that as well. I'm like waiting weeks and usually months to hear back. I mean, most agents and publishers request that you only send to one company, one agent at a time. And because of this, and because slush piles are so big, the possibility that it'll take years for you to find representation is pretty high. Um, and then also you need to be organized, which is something that surprised me when I first started out. I was like, oh my gosh, the first agent I submitted to didn't accept my book. Holy cow. What? What the heck is wrong with these people? Um, so storing copies of query letters, keeping track of where you've submitted, paying attention to what editors and agents are looking for, saving all that information, et cetera. That's something that you're going to want to be um, or learn how to be so that you're not submitting to the same person more than once or finding out that somebody on, mentions on Twitter that they hate uh, romantic comedy and then sending them a romantic comedy, things like that. Yeah, you'll hear a lot, like, you'll hear actors talk about how, you know, you, you go to school to be a good actor, or you become a good actor, and that's one skill, but then auditioning is an entirely separate skill, and you need to have that one in order to get the job, and it's the same thing when you're talking about traditional publishing, writing a query letter is an entirely separate skill that is entirely distinct from writing a book and is absolutely necessary for you to get very good at in order for you to get an agent. Now, to be fair, ideally, you only have to do it successfully once. But uh, again, I started my quote-unquote career by sending out dozens of query letters over the course of two years. And uh, only one of them asked for anything. Like, most of them didn't reply. So again, you're keeping track of this and sort of having an internal uh, timer of when to send the next one out. Uh, and the ones that did reply frequently didn't ask for any more. They just said, no, only one of them actually asked for something like to actually read. And then they turned me down. So it, it really is this sort of like you're, you're a plate spinner when you're doing this. Uh, uh, so it's just, we were talking about when you're a self publisher, you have to learn a whole bunch of different skills. This is the one skill that you have to learn as a traditional publisher that, uh, that is dedicated and complex. I will say that the query writing stuff is pretty similar to the blurb writing stuff. So if you're really good at query letters, because I actually remember taking a workshop from an agent to like find out how to write query letters. And it, like the second paragraph where you were selling the book with, you know, ending with the hook, like, oh, this is like writing a blurb. And I, I think there are some books out there that tell you how to do both. And they're kind of in that ballpark, but they're both hard. I don't know. All, I feel like all authors, there are very some special ones that enjoy writing query 
you know, query letters and, and blurbs, but it's really more copy writing at that point. You're trying to sell your product. So that can be tough all around. Um, but some, some of the pros of traditional publishing are that you're going to get more guidance, um, possibly a marketing plan basically written out for you. Hopefully somebody, you know, you're going to get a push when the book comes out, uh, the publisher doing some marketing, sending out arcs to the stuff to the booktubers. Is that, that's the thing, right? Booktubers and book talk, big book talk. <laughs> you can tell how up I am on the video stuff uh, to get, get your stuff into the hands of people and people influencers, hopefully out there that can uh, help drum up interest. That's going to be really hard when you're self-publishing, especially um, if you don't yet have kind of a, I would say a career, but if you have, everything is a little easier once you've been doing it for a while. And if you have like a series that's been successful, has a, you know, good reviews, people will be more likely to look at your stuff, but it's really hard when you're brand new, a little easier now. Like there was still a big, uh, not chip on the shoulder. What do you say? Prejudiced sort of towards self-published stuff when we got started. And I, I feel like there's a little less of that now. More people are willing to accept that, uh, a lot of independent authors are doing, you know, having professional edits done and putting out really stuff that's, you can't tell the difference between it and uh, traditional published stuff. But, but yeah, uh, we talked about cover art, kind of learning like what sells in your genre. You know, the publishers are going to know that stuff. You might not like the cover you get, <laughs> but chances are it's for, you know, it's, they know that it's going to sell. Again, not always. Sometimes the publisher is not right, you know, and, and you'll, you'll look at the cover and like, wow, I think a different cover really could help that author more in that particular genre. But in general, when you're new, you just don't know yet. You know, you probably haven't spent eons looking down the top 100 lists on Amazon in your genre to kind of really get a solid feel for what sells. And of course, they handle all the distribution. So you're not having to learn how to upload to the various retailers and distributors. So those are some pros. And I think Andrea and Joe have some more. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about how long it takes for them to publish a book, you know, like it can take a year or two years in between books. Uh, but that gives you plenty of time to get your next book written. Uh, so when you're represented, the pressure to perform, perform, perform can be lightened a bit. You know, they won't cycle back to your next book for at least another year, maybe longer, depending on the publisher, of course. This gives you a bit of breathing room to either work on passion projects, work on side projects, focus on your family or do whatever else it is you want to do. And then when things go wrong, you almost always have someone else to blame, <laughs> which which. It, it can be really freeing for some personalities. Um, and when things go right, it's almost like winning the lottery. If your book does well, traditional publishers can make it go really well. And I mean, it's the same with indie publishing. When your book goes well, it's like really amazing. But um, I would say it's probably more likely that you'll have more success as an indie author. But if a traditional, traditional publisher is behind you, then your success can go bigger and into avenues that you couldn't do on your own. Yeah, the additional avenues, I think, is one of the big uh, is big traditional publishing pros. A lot of the ancillary stuff that you might hope for uh, with your, you know, you create a setting, you hope that it goes places. Things like movie deals, video game deals, uh, you know, streaming, stuff like that. Those are very frequently gatekept by uh, whether or not you have representation. And as a, you know, you can get representation as an independent author, but you need to get representation in order to become a traditional author. So you've already crossed that that line. And frequently, the big publishers have already got relationships with with studios and, and producers. So if you're looking to take your career into other media, uh, being traditional is a huge leg up. Um, likewise, and Lindsay talked about this a little bit, 
many people view having successfully navigated traditional publishing uh, as evidence of a base level of quality. Uh, there are a lot of folks who just assume, well, anyone can self-publish, therefore all self-publishing is going to start off worse than traditional because traditional gets rid of some folks. Obviously, uh, you know, not necessarily true. There's obviously fantastic uh, indie authors and there are some traditionally published books that maybe shouldn't have been. But uh, there's still plenty of people out there who, who view, uh, you know, if you didn't come from a traditional publisher, then maybe you're not worth, you know, spending my money on. So you will certainly get that audience um, with a traditional that you wouldn't get any. All right. So let's go into some of the cons of traditional publishing. So we've touched on this already a little bit, but less freedom to write what you want to write. Uh, Publishers are only going to buy what they think is going to sell. And little to no sand cover art, probably more pressure to do what the editor suggests. And there, you know, we've also talked about there are a lot more middlemen. So you're just making a much smaller cut of the sales income. Sometimes it's difficult to get up the enthusiasm to do the marketing stuff, like hand selling books at a a reading or something like that, or a convention. If, you know, you know that you're going to only make a tiny little slice of the the sale of that book. And usually you're only going to get biannual or sometimes quarterly paychecks. And I was joking with Joe at the beginning about how we, whatever way you go, you're going to be kind of an independent person. You're basically self-employed, but it's a, it's, once you get the ball rolling as a self-published author, you'll get money every month. And not only that, but you'll know what you're going to get two months out because that's just uh, most of the stores or that's the delay. I think Audible is only one month out. So but you'll, so you'll know what the pay is going to be, and you can plan accordingly. Uh, with traditional publishing, not only do you not know how much you're going to get when it comes. Like you might, um, like with my audiobook publisher, I get quarterly payments, which is better than, than a lot of traditional publishing. It's usually maybe a week or two ahead, they email like, you know, the spreadsheet and the breakdown. So that's when I know how much I'm going to get. <laughs> if you were trying to plan your entire income from the, you know, for the year and support your family on traditional publishing and you're not making just so such huge piles that it doesn't matter you know you're gonna have to be really careful with your budgeting and uh, hope that things don't fall off at least i with self-publishing you get more of a heads up you're like oh sales are not good in december so my end of february (laughs) check is gonna be a little tight but uh, yeah it could be kind of a shock when you things fall off and you didn't realize they were because all you had to kind of judge it by is sales ranking in the bookstores if you're even looking at that stuff and if you're not a self-publisher that's kind of a black box you can hunt around online and kind of find some estimate calculators oh i'm in the 40,000s on amazon so i might be selling this many a day but it's a it's not that number changes from day to day it's not very reliable so yeah good luck (laughs) knowing what you're going to get paid from quarter to quarter, I guess. That's really funny. I'm sitting here giggling. Good luck guys. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, um, and, and also, I remember I was just thinking while you were talking that, you know, I had an author friend who's traditionally published and she was all in when, and it was 2012 and it was March of 2012. And because we were close enough, I shared with her what I'd made that much that month. And it was more than she'd made the whole previous year as a self, as a traditionally published author. And she'd sold way more than I had. And that was really upsetting to her, but in a good way, it propelled her. And now she's pretty successful as a self-published author. Um, but one of the cons for me was, is 
potentially being locked into a contract that would last for years. And then uh, we mentioned this already, not owning the rights to something you wrote. Um, and then plus, and then again, this is another thing we've mentioned, many publishers own your characters and setting and universe and all that too. So you lose the freedom to visit that world in a future series, which can be a problem if the publisher makes mistakes on your book and you know you can sell that concept or storyline better on your own. Um, and then also, uh, I, again, I mentioned this as a pro earlier, but it, 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 an inability to successfully monitor promotions. And then because it takes, uh, you take less of money, less of the cut from the, the published book, running ads to a traditional published book is a wash or usually puts you in the negative, which is unfortunate because your best way to earn money is generally going to be through ads like Facebook ads or Amazon ads, because, you know, I mean, that's something you control. You can't control whether you get a book bug feature deal or things like that. And so your best way to make money is removed when you traditionally published when you, tra when you traditionally published, <laughs> there's, there's good grammar for you. All right, Joe. Uh, you also are going to have less flexibility uh, to hype your projects. Like even if we're not talking about running your own promotions, if you've got, you know, if you've developed a, a, a social media platform, then you can, you can get a, you know, some traction just by talking up and getting people excited about what you're working on. But, Publishing traditional publishing sometimes comes with very religious, very rigid release schedules and uh, very rigid promotional plans, and it means you might be forced to be silent on a given project until an embargo date passes. You'll often talk about people who have you know non-disclosure agreements on things that they're working on, uh, and it can be very limiting, uh, especially if you feel as though uh, you know you could have benefited from a little bit more, you know, getting people excited about the project prior to its release. Uh, you have no price control which usually means uh, producing a book that's higher priced and earns, well, we already know you, you earn less, but your books also usually cost more, uh, which depending on the length of your book and what genre you're in, uh, being able to price lower would be very helpful even for a traditional author. Uh, and also there's a stronger focus on print sales uh, in a lot. I've, I would say overwhelmingly, it's still the case that uh, they put a very strong focus on print sales. And uh, in some ways, that puts a roof on your success. Like, yes, you get into into uh, bookstores, but the size of your print run de determines how successful you can be in bookstores. So if your book is particularly uh, successful and they don't expect it, there's going to be a big delay, especially now. Supply chain hit paperbacks really hard. Uh, you might get shot in the foot because they didn't have enough production for you. Uh, and similarly... Um, because so much effort is put into uh, bookstores and bookstores have limited shelf space, uh, if they are doing a big, a big run where they're actually, you know, targeting a brick and mortar and it doesn't sell particularly well in the first week or two, uh, you'll, you'll get yanked off the shelves and what they had put all their effort into is now gone. There's a huge amount of focus on the launch for a traditional book, which we also obviously focus on uh, for, for indie, but, with indie, if the initial push fails, then you've still got the long tail that you can work on. And with traditional, frequently, there just isn't a long tail. You're just no longer uh, being distributed except in the low push uh, ebook realm. Right. We didn't even talk about what happens. And we've had a few guests over the years where like the publisher published maybe their first or second book, first two books in a series that they, they had planned to do a six book series. And they had a lot more they wanted to tell with those characters and they just didn't sell well enough. So the publisher pulled the plug and the publisher still had the rights. So they couldn't just continue it on their own. So that's another thing. If you're kind of a series writer and you're really foreseeing, oh, this is going to take off and it be a huge series. You know, I don't know. That'd be one where I'm like, well, maybe I'll self-publish that one and just give a stand, you know, try to get a standalone or maybe a trilogy 
to a traditional publisher just so you know, you know you always hope it'll go well but there are a lot of stories out there there's the, the, you know there's sort of i don't know if it's survivorship bias you would call it but there are a lot of authors that have had excellent long careers and, and do well and they sell well and they seem to have a good relationship but then for all those people the, there's all these ones that fell away because the publisher just didn't want any more of their books and sometimes they have to start a new pen name if they want to keep going and it's tough publishers can crush your dreams but self-publishing and not doing well can crush your dreams too. So guys, it's just hard to be an author. Let's just accept it. There are you just people waiting to crush you left and right, <laughs> no matter what happens. Uh, so it's always, I, I say this a lot on the podcast, but it's always good if you can temper your expectations and then you won't be disappointed. Uh, I, but I don't know if anybody actually succeeds in doing that. I was sure the first thing I queried agents with was going to totally they were going to love it. It was so much more brilliant than anything else they were getting, obviously. And it was going to make me rich. There were going to be movies. I don't know. I feel like all authors go through that phase. All right. But for newer authors, still wrapping this up here, who should consider self-publishing? People who are not patient and don't want to wait years for their books to come out, just for kind of summing this up here. People who don't mind learning new skills, especially how to market online. People who prefer having full creative control and people who want to work hard don't mind reaping, working hard uh, in order to reap more of the benefits, i.e. possibly make more money <laughs> self-publishing. Uh, but it's hard. There's a lot to learn. Um, go ahead and continue with the list, Andrea. Um, I, I was uh, hanging out with Nolan when I was working on my notes, and I asked him what he thought about this. And he goes, people who are good at writing <laughs> should self-publish because in his eyes, there's no reason ever why you should ever traditionally publish. And I think there is, but um, so people who are, uh, who don't care about the prestige that comes with being able to say you've been accepted by a traditional publisher and that prestige has gone down a little bit, but it still exists. Um, people who are business savvy. So they trust themselves to make good decisions for their property, even while knowing they'll make mistakes. Um, or people, not just business savvy, but people who are willing to admit that they need help and they can reach out, you know, to other people, uh, people who want to make good connections in the indie author community, which is usually a really great community. The tables have turned most authors who sign with trad publisher are felt bad for by those who've been around for a while. Like I saw a friend who'd sign with a publisher and I was like, Oh man, I am so sorry. <laughs> Instead of feeling like congratulating her, which is kind of sad. Um, also people who just want to publish a book, like we usually talk about writing as a career, but let's not forget that if you're the kind of person who just wants to have writing as a hobby, self-publishing is the option self-publishing, like nobody want, no agent wants to hear from someone, ah, I'm going to put out a book every now and then you're just traditional is not an option for you and really should not be just put out the stuff that you want to put out. Uh, I, I knew somebody before I quit who is like, oh, I'm going to get my uh, my cookbook published. And then four years later, after I had quit, I went to a holiday party that, that he invited me to. And he was still trying to get that published. And I was like, I have published like 17 books since then. You should really give this a try. Um, also, people who have weird ideas. Again, traditional publishers don't particularly like weird ideas in general. So if you have a, a book that caters to a, a niche or is hoping to create its own niche, then self-publishing is going to be a much easier road for you in terms of actually getting the book out. Or if you have mainstream ideas for a niche that isn't mainstream enough 
for uh, for traditional publishers. A lot of big publishers, and Lindsay mentioned this, a lot of big publishers will treat a small niche they know exists. Like they can look at the numbers and see how many of those books are sold, but they know that at the scale they're working at, that number of books, even if you get everybody, isn't enough. Uh, whereas a, a traditional publisher can make a very comfortable living on, on, on only writing to that niche. So if you're the kind of person who knows that there's a, a, a subset of a genre out there that you really enjoy, uh, but you don't see a lot of traditional books coming out for it. It's probably because traditional doesn't want to touch it and you should be going for self-pub instead. And I would just say, uh, not a rebuttal, but I would not feel bad for anybody that got a traditional publishing deal. I think that's great. And we're going to talk about hybrid in a minute, why that can be super great. Because um, if your publisher helps you build your career and then later you can self-publish stuff if you want and you've already got a fan base and you know, Andrea touched on the money thing. Like sometimes people like a really solid mid-list author and they've sold hundreds of thousands of books traditional, but they're kind of making a living income, maybe, maybe not much more than what we consider a living wage in a lot of parts of the United States. Whereas if you sold hundreds of thousands self-published, you're like, I'm just going to move to Hawaii, buy my dream house, (laughs) whatever, you know. Um, But real quick, let's just wrap up the newer stuff for newer authors, like who should now consider traditional publishing? So those people who want to see their physical books in bookstores, uh, this may or may not happen, you know, check your contracts. A lot of the smaller publishers are doing digital only now too so if that's something you really care about you know make sure that that's in there that they are getting the books into the chains Uh, people who want more guidance along the way and don't mind giving a bigger cup up for the expertise that comes with traditional publishing and also people again who don't mind waiting a couple years for their books to come out we talked about how for those of us who are impatient, this is tough. Like, I don't even remember what happened in books I wrote two years ago. I have to like ask my, my beta readers. I'm like, guys, what, what was that one thing that the reader's talking about in that story? So I would have a hard time promoting it. Like I'd have to go back and reread the book probably before it came out. Bad, bad memory. Um, but that's just me. Uh, for those of you who don't mind waiting and just happy to work on the next project while you're waiting, um, that can be absolutely fine. Um, okay. And then, so for me and I, 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 okay. So I'm happy for them. I think (laughs) just like, I I have such mixed feelings because I'm like, I know how exciting it is to, you know, have a goal like that or dream like that get fulfilled. But then I just, I've seen so many authors who are like, I got traditionally published or I got accepted who end up being so disappointed down the road, you know? And so I just, I don't want to, feel that way. Like, I don't want to see them and go, Oh, you're going to be so disappointed down the road because odds are they, sorry, they will, but in some cases they won't. And so, you know, I, my, I had a dream of hitting the USA today and New York times new, I don't care anymore about New York times, but USA today list. And guess what? It didn't mean as much to me. doesn't mean much to me anymore, but I hit it and I was excited. And that was, it's nice to be able to check something off. Um, and then, yeah. So, so those who aren't able to write quickly and, or have a style of writing that doesn't do as well commercially, but that traditional publishers eat up. So for example, literary books, those can do well for indie authors, but most literary breakouts are still by traditionally published authors. And you don't have to just be, you know, people who can't write quickly, be physically like you can't write quickly because it takes you so long. But, you know, if you're busy, you've got a lot on your plate. And once you land that traditional publishing deal, then you can focus on other stuff. Um, and then, 
people who struggle with tech stuff, like really struggle. And I'm not just saying people are like, Oh, I don't want to do that. But people who are so old school, they don't know how to use Facebook. And I do have, I've had a couple of clients that are that way and they're absolutely wonderful, amazing people. But I ended up encouraging them to continue seeking traditional publishing because it's just way too much of a learning hurdle for them. And it would take them years to learn just the things that um, you have to do that should, you know, ha- you could learn in maybe a day or something if you're able to catch on to things. Um, and then it, those who want to have a movie made or get merch or easily pub or get easily published in other countries, it's easier still for traditionally published authors, especially sci-fi and fantasy to have movies made than it is for indie, uh, self-publishing. If you're a romance, Hallmark accepts self-published novels and things like that. And I know that that's easier to get into than if you do, oops, then you, if you do sci-fi or fantasy, um, and if a book does well in English, a traditional publisher has all the connections already for foreign translations. And so that's not something that you have to really stress over. And I know Joe mentioned that earlier. Um, but I mean, there are other benefits to getting traditionally published, you know, I mean, honestly, like after with how busy I am right now, just the thought of not having to stress about all of that side stuff, but I'm not willing to give over, give over my 70% royalties because I just, anyway, so let's go ahead, Joe. Uh, yeah. Another thing that uh, you get, you know, if you want drag- bragging rights uh, of having made it through the pipeline, and again, if you're shooting for a list, uh, uh, traditional is probably a better choice for you. Uh, some people crave, you know, some more of the fame-based promo methods. Like you're probably not going to be doing a signing tour or any other kind of tour or speaking engagements as a traditional, I mean, as a, a self-published. I mean, you could, I suppose, but. Um, you know, if you're really looking for the celebrity part of being an author, chances are you're, you're going to be uh, get a better shot at that with a successful book, uh, traditional career. And also, uh, if you have a thick skin for rejection, because one of the things that pushes people towards self-publishing is they got sick of people saying no. But if you're fine, you can bounce back. And, you know, and if you're or if you're one of the people who's actually getting constructive criticism from agents and, and pub, you know, uh, editors along the way, then it can really improve you along the way and you'll just get better at it by the time you succeed. So, uh, you know, if you if you can if you can take the, the rejection, then uh, uh, traditional, you know, there's higher heights that you can reach. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on now. We're going to kind of gear this more, the section more to authors who've maybe they've written a series or two and they've had some success or maybe they haven't. And the question is sort of like, when should you consider, when and why would you consider switching from self-publishing to traditional publishing? Assuming you can get a deal. A lot of this stuff is they have to come to you. <laughs> and that's a lot of the foreign rights stuff too. I think probably Joe, same thing. They emailed you, right? You didn't go out and say like, Hey, you know, German publisher, do you want my book? And that's going to come with you're selling enough to have them find you, you know, to be checking on Amazon probably and, and looking in there and seeing how you do. So, uh, so when should you consider switching would be like, one would just be, uh, Andrew was kind of talking about this, like you're super stressed out about, just doing everything and trying to, you know, most of the time early in your career or uh, shoot all the way through your career. Sometimes you're working a day job at the same time, very often. And uh, you might have kids, you know, you might have parents moving back into the house, you know, all sorts of stuff going on. And, and it can be hard to really devote all your time to learning everything about self-publishing. So if you haven't had the kind of success you hoped for with self-publishing and you're thinking, man, I want to just try something else. I want to try traditional 
you know, this may not solve the problem and they are not going to be excited by you if you have not had success as a self-publisher. So you're probably going to want to try them under a pen name. Uh, you know, at some point you're going to have to say like, oh, I have self-published. I have these books out too. And, you know, that, that they may, you know, it may not matter if they really like the story that you pitch them. So, you know, you can always give it a shot. Um, but another time, like, like I said, if they come to you with an offer you can't refuse, that may be a time to switch or to at least sign on. You're not necessarily having to switch completely. Maybe you're just signing on for the next series with a traditional publisher. Uh, another time I've seen like really successful indie authors sign on with traditional publishers is when, you know, they're doing really well with their eBooks, but because their paperbacks are not usually in the stores, unless you get special situations where a bookstore will order them, you know, they want somebody that's really going to help them blow up paperback runs, you know, print hardback and, and have all that stuff available in the stores. And that's when very occasionally you'll see somebody able to get a deal where they keep their ebook rights, but, and while the publisher does the print stuff, but that's super rare and usually going to have to give them everything if you want that. So just keep that in mind. Or, you know, another reason to maybe you want to make the switch, you know, again, you're just, you've been doing it for a while and you're just tired of handling everything yourself. Maybe you're ready like, oh man, I just want somebody else to do the cover art and, and handle some of the marketing stuff. And there's, too much (laughs) so that's definitely a and none of these are like it's not a failure if you decide one of these ways is not for you it's just something sometimes you have to try it before you find out so you never know you know the other way may be better and even if it's not you tried it and you found out and now now you have the choice like the experience of both so it's totally cool (laughs) whichever way you go andrea's friend (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yes, Andrea's friend should be proud of herself. Um, Okay, so and we've kind of hinted on this a lot, but when it's no longer about the money and the control of the schedule, because I can see some successful personalities out there being fine with handing some some control and money over so they can focus on other things, you know, Um, and it's that maybe the exit strategy that we're going to be talking about in a little bit where you're like, you know what, this is not what I want to do with my time anymore, but I want to still, you know, make money. And if you've been successful enough, Um, and then when you want to try to reach a different audience, some readers still won't read indie pub books at all. Like they still won't, they'll watch for new releases from big publishers. And so you're still not getting everybody when you're indie publishing. Um, and then when, or if you want to hit the New York times list or get glowing, glowing recommendations from some of the bigger names in publishing, some publishers, you know, like Kirkus reviews, some publishers, that's just part of publishing a book. They do that, you know, as part of the the whole wheelhouse or whatever. Now I feel like I'm Joe because Joe uses the word wheelhouse (laughs) more than I do. Um, and then also uh, when an awesome opportunity lands in your lap and you want a strong and solid company behind you, backing you up and protecting you. And I, I've seen that happen a lot of times with people getting agents, but I've also heard of it happening with uh, people who are you know, seeking representation with traditional publishers. Like if somebody approaches you, your book's been super successful and they want to make a movie out of it, you could approach a publisher and say, hey, could you handle this for me? Um, anyway, that, that's for me. Um, sometimes if you feel like your writing could benefit from more developmental work, again, we talk about, you know, the different kinds of editors and chances are very good. If you're, if you're self-published, you're not using a developmental editor because it's way more expensive. You're going to get a lot more direct, uh, back and forth with an editor that is sort of on staff at a publisher. And again, there's an entire apparatus of people who make books for a living who could just guide you better on the production of your book. If you feel like you need it. 
Um, also, when you've had some success in self-pub but are launching a new series uh, in a trad-dominated genre, like, again, maybe you self-published and had a lot of success, but now you're going to do your literary fiction, uh, that's still fairly traditionally pub, uh, uh, dominated. You're going to want to find a traditional publisher for it. And uh, when you feel that your writing skill has grown much faster than your marketing or technical skill, like maybe uh, you have had definitely like your, your books are, are well loved by the people who read them, but you just haven't developed the skills to market them. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person who initially tried to get traditionally published and failed, but now you're just producing better books. So it might be time to try again. And, and uh, again, lean on those, the better expertise of the traditional publishers once you get in. We should point out too that you can technically make the New York Times bestseller list as an independent author. They took out, it was kind of a loophole. <laughs> a lot of people were doing box sets for quite a while with like eight other authors and they were all pushing it together. And I know like my pen name got on the USA Today bestseller list. My pen name that has like, doesn't hardly sell any books because she was in one of those box sets uh, that launched for the several other authors. And for a while you could, get those accolades and i believe i th i'm not sure if usa today has changed that but i think on new york times you have to do it now by yourself which is still possible more so if, if you're in a big like romance or you know kind of one of the bigger genres with a you know mystery thriller that have a big readership i that's a tough call i'm going to say is like an epic fantasy author to sell like 15,000 copies in a week but you can do pre-orders now for up to a year which has kind of leveled that like in the beginning, uh, only traditional published authors could do pre-orders for that long. And it was almost like, well, how can you not make the list if you have a year to like market the book? Because they all count on the release week. They count toward your sales. So anyway, that was just a random aside. It is possible as an independent author to make those lists. But I, I, most of the time when I see people do it, they're just hugely successful at that point and probably don't even care or they're throwing a lot of money behind it to advertise it that one week, uh, you know, pre-orders and building up to it. So I just wanted to put that out there. So uh, now let's go the other side. Again, talking to authors who have done a series or two. Uh, so at which point would you consider switching from traditional publishing to self-publishing? And I hinted at this earlier. Let's say you're a mid-list author. You're solidly, you know, selling good books and you've got a pretty good fan base, but you're just not making the kind of money you feel you should. You're not a six-figure author. And you're like, dang, man, I've got this awesome series. It does really well. But when the royalty checks come in, it's just like, eh, it's okay money. But I feel like I could be doing so much more if I was making a bigger cut. And I'm going to say this is for you traditional authors out here who might be listening to this. This is the most no-brainer time to switch. You've already got a fan base. They're super loyal. They'll buy your books. And you have to have the rights to, uh, you know, that's going to depend on your contract. Like a lot of times you're not going to be able to take your characters and series and just start self-publishing that. But if you are thinking of giving it a shot, you know, make sure to start, start building a newsletter of your own. Cause a lot of times the publishers are not even doing newsletters or if they do one in the back of the book, like try to get people to sign up. It's just for their generic, like, uh, come, come to our <laughs> website for all of our authors. You want people coming to you. So maybe you're doing some short stories to give away on the side to lure your fans in. Cause you want to be able to, when you do switch to self-publishing, you want to have your newsletter and all these readers who uh, know that the book's out, you're going to email them and let them know right away. So and if you have, if you can 
you know, again, it's going to depend on your rights, but if you can release something that kind of ties into an already successful franchise, that's going to be the easiest. Do not, and I repeat, do not just throw out some side trunk novel that you wrote 10 years ago. I'm going to try self-publishing and then it's not going to sell because it's a football high school story. And over here, you've built your name writing space opera. You're reading like, "Ah," or, you know, even if it's in the same genre, if it's not at all tied into your other work, it's going to be harder. Like your fans are probably diehard fans because they love that particular series that you write. So, but if you don't have the rights, you can't touch, you know, the, the characters and stuff that you're doing traditional, write a new trilogy or, you know, a serial or just something where you could, uh, we've talked a lot about on other episodes, how to market a series and how that's much easier. You know, you can make book one ninety nine cents or free, but just commit to doing a new series and getting your fans into it. And maybe you even give them book one for free or the first six chapters or something like that to your mailing list. Just do not throw out something and say like, Oh, self-publishing didn't work for me. I tried to self-publish this one thing that has nothing to do with the series that my fans love. Cause I've seen that a lot. And then they go back to traditional publishing and there's like oh, self-publishing as if, <laughs> so don't make that mistake guys. Um, Another reason would just be like, if you feel like your publisher is not putting enough marketing dollars behind you and you're just not getting the kind of support that some of the other authors are getting, or the, you know, you're just kind of finding the experience was not very enjoyable. You know, maybe that when you get the opportunity, you just decide to go off on your own. Uh, Same as above. If you've built up a fan base, make sure to start a newsletter and, you know, do all the things we talked about on the other shows so that you're not starting from scratch. Uh, another no-brainer is if you've got older titles, and you often will have to reach out to the publisher and check, have the rights reverted to you, you know, read your contract. If it's been, you know, if you have books out that were kind of before the ebook craze, you know, that have gone out of print, that's probably the kind of stuff you're going to be able to get the rights back on. And publish them yourself, launch it like a whole new series, get new covers, put them out there, do, do everything we talked about on the other shows. And, you know, that's like easy money. That's Those were books you were making nothing from at this point, right? Because they've been out of print for a while. And you've already written them. They've already been edited. Yeah, that definitely check for that if you have that. If you're traditional published, that's just, you know, re- they can be an all new series. You know, if you're writing fiction in this, it's like super dated for some reason. And, and you can always update it if it is. Uh, get that stuff out there and selling for you once more. Yeah, that was something that I was super jealous, jealous, not really jealous, I guess, just sad and envious of my author friends who had all these books that they'd published and they got all the rights back in there. I'm like, oh, if only, and I know Lindsay's mentioned that before too. Like we started from scratch with book one, not with these whole finished novels that were totally edited on the back list, you know, back burner. Um, and then another, a couple more reasons. So when you're chomping at the bits to get another book out, you already have a ton of pen names, for different companies, you know, cause a lot of authors that are super prolific, like Dean Wesley Smith, we've had him on the show before and he was super prolific. And so he created a whole bunch of different pen names and, you know, um, and so he would release things on with a different publisher just to keep up with his own writing schedule. Um, or, or if you just want to release things on the side and are tired of waiting for someone else to give you permission, uh, when you feel like you have enough clout or experience and don't need a company uh, backing you up anymore, that's kind of like what happened with me. Uh, even though they never published me, uh, I did sign with them and I, I made connections and I went out on my own when I was like, you know what, I could do this all on my own. And I had the confidence that I felt like I needed um, to be able to get out on my own. 
Um, and then your publisher, we've said this before, your publisher says no to something you wrote and you, you know, I mean, it's not going to be like Lindsay says, you don't want it to be just something that you just throw out there, but if it's something that you believe in and you feel strongly could do well, like, I mean, I, the traditional publishers went through a phase where they're like, no more elves, no more dwarves, no more any of that. And I've had so many friends that were like, went, you know, self-published that and did really well. And our traditional publishers like no more vampires. And yet look at, you know, 50 shades, of, not 50 shades of gray. Uh, vampire shade of vampire whatever that's uh, what no bella forest that's who it has like the 80 vampire novels right yes yes (laughs) yeah so the the vampire the shade of vampire or whatever yeah that book it has done very very well and so you can't say that a publisher can't tell you that that's not no longer being bought or being read because something that was really published for a few years public really popular popular oh my gosh a few years early here might just you know through traditional publishing might still have a huge wave that you could write as an indie author releasing books that are less expensive um if you have enthusiasm for a project uh, that is exactly opposite the publisher's enthusiasm for that project like maybe they've accepted it and they want to work with it but they sort of have low expectations and aren't putting a lot behind it and you feel like you get a lot more like that's the kind of a sign when it might be time to to move on because you know uh if you're not one of the 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 favorite authors in their stable then the time might come to look for another stable uh, also, if you find you've developed a fan base in areas that traditional doesn't particularly like to touch, like, you know, low cost serials or niche genres and stuff like that, uh, sometimes uh, the elements of your book that become successful are elements that would do better if you focus them into a niche genre. And so spinning off and taking that stuff and making its own thing self-publish is probably a good idea for you. All right. And our last topic, uh, I just wanted to bring up to see if you guys have any more thoughts on this, because, uh, you know, if you've been if you chose self-publishing, you know, Andrea mentioned before that if you stop working because you get sick or busy or you're just tired of it, the books are going to stop selling. So, you know, should you have an exit strategy? And this is something I'm thinking about, too, for the future. Like if you're all in with self-publishing, the continued success is going to rely on you continuing to be at the helm. But what if there's a day that comes when you want to slow down or you're just kind of tired of all the behind the scenes work that goes into publishing and selling books? And maybe you want to back off and just write books and not have to do all the the stuff that comes with it, especially with self-publishing. You know, what are your options? And so the things that I can think of, obviously, the three of us were like 11 years, 10, 11 years into our career. So we're probably not retiring yet. But, you know, you want to plan for that day. So I could see, you know, selling the rights to a series or your whole catalog to a publisher. This is obviously only going to be an option if you've really been quite successful. Uh, and even then, I don't know how often this happens. You hear it more with, uh, I don't really actually hear it all that much at all. I've hear it, hear it more in the music world, actually, where the estate ends up selling the rights to like the big music company to kind of keep the songs alive and selling. And do people still buy CDs? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, to keep the sales going, uh, because a lot of times you find with like children, like you may have this plan and I think Andrew's going to talk about this. She's got this in her plan. You may have this plan for one of your kids to take over the business and they're so not interested. It turns out in taking over the business. I mean, that's kind of true with a lot of family businesses. A lot of times the second generation, just they're not interested or they don't do as well. So, um, so that's, uh, one thing is, option perhaps sell the rights of the catalog to a publisher Uh, another option would be like to hire a ceo ceo basically 
to take over the day-to-day operations of your business. Maybe this, maybe this is for you, those of you who have an assistant already and they're doing a really good job and it's going to be kind of like, Hey, are they ready for the big promotion? Uh, and obviously this is going to be somebody who's probably making six or seven figures, right? You're, if you're still, you know, earlier in your career, you haven't yet had as much success to hire like a whole different person, a CEO, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not an option, but uh, those are two that came to my mind. Do you guys have any more to add? I do. Um, so I'm not at this point in my career yet. And I just, this, this question start, sparked me, you know, thinking a lot, but I'm not close of course, but I was really burned out when we first started the podcast, which is unfortunate because I burned out right when we started and I'm getting over that now, but I can see when something like this might be necessary for me. I had my assistant run everything while I was burned out, but she works with other people and running everything for me was very minimalistic. And what Lindsay is talking about here is more than just an assistant. So a manager or a CEO would be a good idea as long as it's someone who's willing to recognize that their mistakes or lack of direction, energy slash focus, all of that will affect you and them. Uh, No one is going to take your books as seriously as as you do. Like Lindsay said, not even a publisher, but maybe if you're at an exit strategy point, that won't matter as much. And then I, I do hope that you know, one of my kids will want to take over things. Um, I kind of am wondering if the, the, the world's going to all explode and my kids won't even have that op- option yet. Um, but um, what, what, like for me, I, what I'm hoping I'll be able to do is have my daughter or another child take over things. And I'd make sure they know that they keep 50% of the profits or something like that. So that they have more motivation to not let it die. Or so they know that their efforts, no matter how small will be rewarded. And I just kind of, these, these books are part of us. It's really hard for somebody else to get as excited about the books as we are. And so that's like what Lindsay was saying. You don't, you don't know. I mean, I honestly have no idea what's going to happen and uh, my kids are still young. And so give them a little bit of time. But if I can see if my daughter, she wants to be an author when she gets older, you know, she writes books all the time. Um, She's only nine. So we've got a long ways to go before we find out if that's actually going to happen. But, you know, I could see her being enthusiastic about taking over my catalog, but who knows? We'll see. Um, I think that something uh, like, you know, we were talking earlier about whether or not something is a failure. Uh, you can just go back to the real world and start being a, a writer as a hobby again. Like that's a, that's an option that's available to you. It's, it's, it, it is probably the most likely exit strategy, but uh, for a, a rosier one where like where you're, you're reaching end of career and trying to make something of it like, like uh, Lindsay and Andrew were talking about, I think a combination of the hiring a CEO and selling your rights if you just sort of band together with a lot of other folks who are making the same step, you can just make a publishing company and, and, you know, put, pull your resources and your back catalogs and, you know, get a small staff to sort of dedicate itself to your backlist and just move on from there. I I think it's Kevin J. Anderson that ended up uh, sort of taking on the mantle of being a publisher, uh, which is sort of the opposite of backing off and just writing, but the people who ended up being picked up by him were able to sort of back off and, 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 you know, just write again. So yeah, like really off, offloading the, the business onto somebody else is a lot easier if you have a lot more business uh, to do. So if, if you've gone through your career and made a lot of connections with other authors and you reach the end of, uh, you reach the exit at the same time, and this is an option that's available to you. Right. And Andrew, if your daughter ends up liking to write, then she can just start writing under your name or with your name. Like I, I was on a panel one time at 20 books, I think with um, Anne McCaffrey's son and he's doing, you know, 
he was kind of continuing on his mom's legacy and publishing new books, I believe. Um, but so, you know, if you have somebody in the family that's interested, or even it wouldn't even have to be a family member, you could find a younger author when you're getting more towards retirement. It just seems so, um, like it'd be depressing to watch everything you spent maybe like 20 or 30 years building up the books, you know, they, if you stopped doing anything or just left some ads on, I'm sure they'd probably continue to sell to some extent if you had sold a lot for the, you know, for there to be word of mouth and stuff continuing on. And, um, but yeah, I, I, it is like Joe said, it's probably more typical that like you can think of authors you read it as a kid and you're like, oh, I wonder whatever happened to that author. And you're like, no, they just stopped publishing and went back to their day job. Basically that happens a lot, especially with traditional publishing we were talking about. Uh, how if you're just not selling well, the publisher doesn't isn't going to want any more books from you. So I don't know. I guess that's just, I'm not sure that was the most upbeat way to end the stuff. What happens when you retire or die with your books? But you know, something to keep in mind. Hopefully we're all listening to this and we got some more writing years left in us. Um, but you know, you, well, you actually, if you have a lot of success too, you may want to retire early. So maybe that's a thing. Honestly, that's kind of what, I'm thinking about hopefully, re, you know, maybe not fully retiring early, but I could definitely see dropping back to writing two or three books a year instead of eight or 10, which is somewhat insane. Um, but actually, I don't mind the writing. It's the whole business side. That's where I'm like, oh, the idea of like hiring, <laughs> having a CEO out of the publishing industry, that's kind of appealing. I wonder who's anybody doing that. I should check into that. Where do you find these people? Um, you know, probably still a few years out for me, but you got to start planning for your future. I hear it's a good thing to do. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up? This is going to be a short episode. We still talk for an hour. Dang it. It's my fault. It's Andrea's fault. It's always my fault. I can it's, take that. It's never Joe's fault. Joe's no. very succinct. We're rambly. Yeah. Joe's right. like has nothing to say. <laughs> just, just, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm yes. Anding you by doing what you said I do. <laughs> all right well i guess on that note we will wrap up the show thank you for listening everyone you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six bye-bye see y'all later so long everybody